We're going to now continue in this week in our series. And I love watching these Facebook videos about um, uh, these guys, men or women, who won't let people like push them around. So I watched one a few weeks ago, and I'll try to paint a picture of it. This guy gets home late at night, and there's a car parked in front of his driveway so he can't get in. And he's got one of those Nest cameras on his, on his doorstep. So he, um, so he's video, so you can see the video of him trying to get in his driveway. So what he does next is absolutely amazing. And I wish, um, you know, I'd ever be able to have this opportunity, but he hooks the guy's car up to his truck and then pulls it out into the, pulls it sideways out into the middle of the road and then parks in his driveway. So then it fast forwards in the footage and the police pull up trying to figure out why this car is parked sideways in the middle of the road, and then they're going to get it towed. They call the license plate number, and wherever the guy who parked and blocked the driveway was, he had to come out and uh, explain to the police why he parked so erratically. I just thought that was great. And I think that's connected a little bit to the song. The, the leader of the song, uh, Dan Reynolds, when he talks about this song, he said that this was about finding yourself and being willing and able to stand up to whatever adversity comes your way and, and not letting yourself be a doormat and not letting people push you around. So I saw another Facebook video, I think it was this week or just last week, that I was, it was, it was so great. It was another one of those Nest cameras, and someone had been stealing their packages off their doorstep. So um, uh, you see this car, the footage of this car going back and forth, and the car parks, and they they walk to the doorstep and they take the package and just really nonchalantly walk back to the car and start driving away. Well, they had a hidden camera and they had, I don't know who they hired to do this, but um, when the car got to the end of the road, you could still see it there. All of a sudden, the guy gets out of the car and he's bent over and he's pointing and he's bent over and they had rigged the package to explode with dog feces in their car to get back to the guy who had been stealing their packages. And you just think like, when you read the words of the song, like that's kind of the mentality of this song. Like I'm not taking it. In fact, I'm gonna be giving it to anybody who tries to steal my packages. So the words of the lyrics that, that uh, our, our band sung were, cause you're natural, a beating heart of stone. You gotta be so cold to make it in this world. Yeah, you're natural, living your life cutthroat you got to be so cold, yeah, you're natural. It's kind of just espousing this idea that, uh, you know what, you really got to be cold-hearted if you're going to, you know, if you're going to move forward and, and trying to, like, carry that and the way you carry yourself in that process. Now, this song was picked up by ESPN for, uh, for its college game day, which happens on Saturdays. And that may be a great mentality for... Uh, for a bunch of guys who are running out on the college football field, but really, is it anything we'd want to adopt in our life? And it is tempting for us to live that way and not care about anybody else but ourselves, and to get back at people and, um, and to just kind of live like uh, cold-hearted and to live cutthroat. Is that really what you want? And is that really something that's going to allow you to experience this world the way God intended you to experience it? And is it really going to allow your life to move, move forward? Now think about this. Is a cold heart the key to a great marriage? Is that what it's going to take? You just think you're, you're, 
your spouse doesn't care about you, they don't pay attention to your needs, they, maybe you feel they neglect you, maybe you even feel like they have a cold heart. So it's your response, is the response to have a cold heart yourself, is that going to move your marriage forward? Is that going to help it to get better? Is that going to help it to become what you pray it would be? No, I don't think any of us would agree that a cold heart is going to make your marriage better. What about, what about your business? You think, you know, business, it's, it's, it's kind of doggy dog and um, you, you've got you to kind of wipe out your competitors and make your, your place in the market. And, 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 but w- even in that, it's li- living cold-hearted and being a cold-hearted businessman. Is that going to develop your business into what you want it to be? Is that going to represent you well or your family well or the kingdom of God well? Is that really how you want to try to get ahead? What about this living cutthroat? Is that really the best way to parent? You just think like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give it all to these kids. I'm not going to let them uh, get by. I'm not going to let them escape. I'm going to put the pressure on them. And, and that, through that adversity that I put on them, they're going to learn to live and be. And No, they're going to develop all kinds of anxieties and all kinds of disorders if you're living that way. Even on the football field, being cold-hearted and living cutthroat, it's not celebrated. There's a thing called sportsmanship. And there's all kinds of athletes, but one famous one, uh, Indomitian Sue, he, he's been fined uh, so many times and been suspended so many times for uh, uh, stomping on people when they're on the ground, kicking uh, quarterbacks in the nether regions what, you know, when, during a play, and, and doing all kinds of cheap shots to injure people and to take them out. And, and it's not celebrated at all. And it's not helping his career at all. Um, and it's certainly not helping his bank account. Why, though, do we look at people who live like this, who take advantage of others, who don't seem to care, who always seeming to get ahead because they don't care, why would we have any temptation to live like that? Why would we have any temptation to live with a cold heart where we're saying, I'm not going to feel anything, I'm not going to care about anybody else? Why would we have that temptation? I think for... For most of us, it's because it's easier than getting hurt. So this is usually a response. You know, I, I, I keep getting hurt in these relationships. I keep getting hurt by these people. So I'm not going to care anymore. And we think that somehow that's better. And yeah, there's, you won't get hurt. But here's the thing. You kind of just live in hurt. To say I don't feel anything and I won't feel anything is to live in this constant state of hurt, this constant state of of numbness. We can say, I'm going to live cold-hearted, and I'm going to uh, act this way, or I'm going to respond this way, and we do this because because it's easier than, um, than asking for forgiveness. So we've done something wrong to someone, we've hurt them, and... Since their feelings are hurt, our pride rises up. You're like, well, how dare you get offended at me? And so then we begin to shut them off and begin to distance ourselves from them because we don't want to ask them to forgive us. Also, we can live cold-hearted because it's easier than forgiving. 
when someone's wronged us, and someone has done something to hurt us, we develop a cold heart because we don't, wanna, we don't want to forgive them. We don't want to them, let them go for the things that they've done to us. So while most of us wouldn't say, like, I'm going to develop a cold heart to, to get further in business, we may be tempted by it. We're not purposely developing a cold heart, but we're accidentally growing one. And it's sometimes because of what we're not doing that our heart is growing colder and colder. Our response to people is becoming shorter and shorter. Our empathy for people is becoming less and less. So where Imagine Dragons is singing, you've got to be so cold to make it in this world. This morning as we open up the Bible and as we read a song from the Bible, I just want to show you a better way. I want to show you I want to show you what God has for you. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to him, to let him work in your life. Because maybe you're here this morning and you do have a cold heart. You have a cold heart toward God, a cold heart toward the church, a cold heart toward your family, and you're just here and you're just going through the motions. He can break through that today if you'll let him. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Psalm 51. You don't know where... To find the book of Psalm, you can look at your table of contents. The Bible is 66 different books that were compiled together. And the, the book of Psalms is a book of songs that were uh, compiled together and for uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. These were the songs that the church sang. They certainly weren't singing Imagine Dragons. So you... What we're about to read and which what I want you to begin to look at and, and to be, begin to reflect in your own life is um, where is your heart? Uh, is it something that you've developed purposely to become cold or is it something that's accidentally become that because you just haven't dealt head on with the things going on in your life? David, uh, King David, he wrote this song when he was king and it's similar to the song last week that, we, that he wrote in that it, it is about sin. This one's different in, in that he's confessing sin. Last week, that song was just expressing the sorrow he had over his sin. And you can, wa- you can watch last week, and I definitely recommend you do because it shifts something in us when we treat sin for what it is. So... Last week, in the song that he wrote, he's expressing the deep sorrow he had over his sin. But even despite that, the reality of his own sin, he still found himself in situations later in his life where he sinned far worse. And he still found himself, even though at one time he expressed deep sorrow over his sin, he found himself in a place where he was ignoring it and he was trying to hide it. What happened during this part of his life is, um, if you've been in church, you're familiar with this, but for those of you who are new to church or at church for the first time today, I'll give you a little bit of a quick background. King David had uh, witnessed a lady bathing, and as king, he ordered her to his palace, and um, there's, whether, he definitely committed adultery, but there is 
um, there is reason to believe he committed rape because what is this, uh, what is this lady is going to do whose husband's away at war? And what is she going to do to tell the king no? She's put in a situation where she's not able to deny his advances. There's committed adultery, probably committed rape. Uh, she gets pregnant. He then tries to cover it up, invites the husband back who was his friend to, uh, to, uh, to a night of reprieve, a night at home. He won't stay at his house so, because if all of his men are in battle, he's not going to go and, and sleep in his own bed. And, and he, so he's sleeping outside on the ground outside of his house. So David knows, like, I'm going to get caught in this. So he sends his friend back into battle on the front lines where he is killed in battle and David's murdered. Adultery, rape, murder, and then deceit because he's lying through all of this to everybody. Only he and Bathsheba know, that was the lady's name, what's really gone on. And she's not going to say anything because... She'll, she could be killed, she could be thrown out on the street, and so she's got no choice but to go along in all of this. And the guy who sang about the sorrow of his sin, we talked about last week here now, finds himself using sin to try to cover up sin, instead of just coming forward and confessing at the very beginning, continues down this path where he ends up way further than he ever, ever thought he would. And he's done more things wrong than he ever could have imagined being capable of doing. Rather than, you know, so here he is. He's living cutthroat. He's living with a cold heart. He's, and God knows what's going on in his life, just like he knows what's going on in yours. So he sends a prophet by the name of Nathan to, uh, to, to bring forward his sin and to just say, hey, you're... God's exposed what you've done. You've been caught. And David, at that choice, could have continued to live cold-hearted, continued to live cutthroat. Because he, the only people in that room the Bible records were him and Nathan. And David, at that point, could have just killed him. Nathan was a, was a, was a priest. Uh, David was a seasoned soldier. He could have, he could have killed him easily. And as a pastor, I know the fighting credentials of pastors, so like he, he would have lost pretty quick. <laughs> and he could have continued covering up and continued the path he was on, but he, he didn't respond that way. He asked God to change his heart. And this is where we are this morning as we're about to read this. As you may realize, you know what, I am cold-hearted. You know what, I have been, I, 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 didn't, I didn't become that purposely, but I became that accidentally, and I'm not where I used to be. As we read this, and we won't read the entire thing, we'll read two different batches of Scripture, um, I want you to begin to open up your heart like David opened up his. Psalm chapter 51 we're going to read verses 10 through 12, and then we'll read verses 16 and 17. So Psalm chapter 51. And uh, this is confusing because we talk about verses and songs. And so this weren't, wasn't 17 different verses of a song. But, so we're going to read lines 10 through 12 would be a, another way to understand it. And then lines 16 through 17. So David writes, 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Verse number 16. For, I, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. What is our response if we find ourselves in the place where we have a cold heart? Or what is our response if we truly say, Jesus, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I want to honor you in all areas of my life for the, all of my days. How do you defend against a cold heart? How do you, how do you uh, uh, resurrect or have a heart transplant to go from having a cold heart to having the heart of God in your life, we see this in what King David wrote. Verse number 10, this is a song when I was a kid, we used to sing in church all the time. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If, you're, if you don't want a cold heart, you need to have a clean heart. And this is an admission of sin. Uh, and this is allowing God to do a restorative, transformative work in your life. On the innermost part of you, your soul, your emotions, your will, in the innermost part of you, the part that doesn't age, allowing God to do a work in you. Isaiah chapter 118, when the prophet Isaiah was talking about sin, he used this picture to describe it. He said, my sin is a crimson stain. It's a blood stain on my life, but you and your forgiveness makes me white as snow. So this is not an infomercial. This is not, um, this is not like something you see on TV, like, hey, this, this magic substance is going to remove all your stains, but this is the work of Jesus on the cross, that because of his blood that was shed on the cross, now we have forgiveness. And the stains in our life and the things that we've done wrong in our life, they're washed, they're erased, they're not visible anymore. And we're able to stand with a clean heart. And if you've never been able to do that, because you just always, in, in, in church, guilty about what you've uh, about what you did the week before, the night before. If you're always in church or, or you're always reading your Bible and you're guilty, like, how do I get past this? How do I, you know, and, you're, and your prayers are always the guilty prayers. You're always, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. You don't understand what it is to stand before God with a clean heart. In that moment, for the first time in your life, and that could be today when you give your life to Jesus, but that moment when you're able to stand before God and you know every wrong thing you've done is forgiven, you're freed from all of the things in your past. And you stand before God and you know like, man, I am clean. Clean. You look at me and you see the, the, the perfection of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus. Like it's all gone. And it's this 
It is this um, uh, moment. It's like viewing a, the Grand Canyon or, or viewing a, a glacier, which just like takes your breath away. Like, man, it's a different place to be here when I've been forgiven by you than when I've been here trying to hide things from you and feeling guilty about everything that I won't give up to you. And all that you have to do to experience this is give your life to Jesus. Hey, I'm following you. I'm believing you to forgive my sins. And if you've been following him, even a Christian, but there's some things you've fallen back into, there's some things that you've begun to do and it should led you further down the line that you wanted to. You think like, I've got to do something to make myself right. I've got to do something to make myself right with um, the, with the, uh, uh, do something to make myself right before God. What David wrote right here is, uh, you don't want sacrifices. You don't want me to do a bunch of external things to make everything, uh, to make myself okay to you. You want me to give my heart to you. And he goes on in the second part. He says, uh, you don't want me to just do a whole bunch of religious things. You want me to have a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart before you. So he says a broken heart in verse number 17. And this is, if you're going to break down broken heart, we won't spend a lot of time talking about that because that's what we talked about last week. That is that sorrow over your sin. You've sinned against God and you're more upset about the sin you've done against God than the sin that's been done against you. And what happens is you stand before God with a clean heart and in the moments where you do sin, where you do, are disobedient to what God would have for you, where you go your own way or you worship yourself instead of worshiping him, when you have a broken heart over your sin, you experience in those moments the, the love of God. And then the third thing that he says right here, that's, these are all separate and different than, than a cold heart. It's a contrite heart. If you're going to defend your, yourself against a cold heart, if you're going to uh, change your life from how you've been living, you've been living cold-hearted, it comes in this, what he wrote about. It's a clean heart where you confess what you've done. It's a, it's a broken heart where you feel sorrow over your sin, and then it's a contrite heart. And this is similar to a broken heart. That's why they're pieced together here. But it's not just feeling sorrow, but contrite means feeling and showing sorrow. And you're, you're, you're not just feeling guilty about what you did. You're not just feeling sorrow for what you did, but, it, but then you're doing something. And that could, that's praying a prayer. That's coming and, and still participating in church. That's worshiping him. Because what happens is when we feel sorrow for our sin, we try to run and hide. When we feel sorrow over what we've done, we think, I don't belong here. God won't love me anymore. I won't. But a broken and contrite heart comes before God admitting guilt, but still comes before God. 
It's not hiding anything. It's not running from him. And in that, then a, a whole bunch of things happen in your life and in your heart. A contrite heart isn't only better for you. It's not only better than having a cold heart. It will get you further than having a cold heart. If you think I need to get a, I need to have a cold heart and I need to not care about what anybody else thinks in order to move forward, in order to achieve everything that God has in my life. If that's, and, and you're starting to believe that, listen, you've got to hear the word of God this morning. Uh, contrite heart brings the favor of God on your life. And the favor of God is when God moves on your behalf. God opens doors that you can't open. God puts you in places that you do not belong. And I don't know if you've ever gotten a, 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 gotten a job that you weren't qualified for, but that's, a, that's an example of the favor of God. God is moving and blessing your life in ways that, uh, that you can't do. When we have sorrow for our sin and it moves us to prayer, prayer that we would have a clean, broken, and contrite heart before God, what that brings is a restoration of joy. Some of you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never followed him, you don't know what that is to experience the joy of God. And, and, I, I, and I'd love everywhere at every one of our locations for you to pray a prayer and just ask Jesus to be your God, to be your Savior, to forgive you of your sins. And if you've been following him for a long time, you remember that moment when you gave your life to him. You remember what that felt like. You remember how it was to be clean and how it was to stand before him and how it was to know that he loved you and know that he, that he, um, that he cared about you. And then you know where you are now. There's not a joy in your salvation anymore. And when you have a clean heart, a broken heart, and a contrite heart, you have, you, what God will do is bring a restoration of joy in your life. For us, a cold heart is our like natural default and it is our natural tendency and none of us are immune to that. In the song, going back to the beginning, it said, a beating heart of stone, you got to be so cold to make it in this world. Yeah, you're natural. And that's what's going to happen naturally to us. If we're not daily coming before God and asking him to give us a clean heart, if we're not daily coming before God in uh, and brokenness, if we're not daily coming before God and letting him restore our joy, then we will slowly, surely, definitely become farther away from him than we want to be. David, a man who expressed sorrow for his sin, and we read about it last week, the deep sorrow he felt, how did he get to a place where he then sinned so deeply? It was a cover-up. Instead of confessing his sin at the moment of his sin, he began to cover it up. He began to try to, uh, he began to hide it. He began to worry about his reputation. He began to worry about what people would think. He began to, he began to worry about his position. And his cover-up killed his heart. And this is the thing that's true for every single one of us. You cannot 
cover up your sin without killing your heart. So maybe you've been lying to uh, your employer. Maybe you've been lying to your spouse. Maybe you've been lying to your friends. Maybe you've been lying to me. So all kinds of things going on and you're just covering up, covering up, covering up, covering up. Listen, it is, you are headed down a path that is going to be far more destructive and far more dangerous for you. It's going to hurt you a lot more than just being open before God. Clean me, God. Give me a broken and contrite heart, oh God. Restore to me the joy of salvation, God. That I'll stop chasing these other things and I will chase you. You can be, as we look at David and we look at last week and look at this week and look at the sin in the, in, in the middle of his life, you can be repentant today and despondent tomorrow. It just takes one day for you to not confess your sin or to try to cover up your sin that leads you down a long path of running. And every day we have a humility before God. I'm not perfect. I don't do everything perfect. And God, I ask you to forgive me for what I did this morning. God, I ask you to forgive me for what I did last night. And we don't ever accept sin. And we're not just like throwing up these fake prayers for forgiveness, trying to make ourselves okay before God. We're just saying, God, you're, my relationship with you is the most important thing to me in my life. I want a heart that you've given me. I want a heart like yours. If you'll bow your heads, I want to take um, and pray for you and pray together. While I've been talking, I've talked about giving your life to Jesus a number of times. And if you've never been to church, it's hard to understand, but, but probably if you're sitting there, it's something that you feel that you need to do. You just feel that, like, this is it. This is, what I, this is what I needed. I need a relationship with Jesus. I need to be forgiven by him. And it's so easy to do that. You talk to him and you tell him that. You say, Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose again, and I believe that you'll forgive me. And I need you to do that. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, to be my savior to be my God, in Jesus' name, amen. And in that prayer, when you pray that prayer, that changes your heart. It changes your standing before God. It changes your eternity. It changes your day-to-day. -day. It changes everything. I want to pray for, uh, for others of you because maybe you realize all right, you're not cold-hearted yet, but you realize where you've been going the last couple of weeks or the last couple of years. So I want to pray with you. Jesus, I just ask right now for every person in here that we will pray a prayer, we will pray a prayer like David did. Jesus, create in me a clean heart. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't don't leave me, but clean me. Forgive all my sin and give me a broken and contrite heart, oh God, that there'd be sorrowful over my sin. I'd be sorrowful over the sin I've done to you. And then I'd just be committed to coming before you, being repentant before you, 
I be close to you. We as individuals, we as a church, we don't want to be far from where you'd have us to be. We ask you to do all of this work in our lives. Restore the joy of your salvation in all of our lives and in all of our churches. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Band is going to come out and, uh, and sing. Would you stand to your feet and let's worship the Lord together, allowing him to restore that joy of his salvation, allowing him to, uh, to move in your heart in the way that he wants to today.